We're going to be spending our time again today in Paul's first chapter of his letter to the Ephesians. So we turn now to Ephesians chapter 1. And we read the first seven verses this morning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So far we read this morning, the text that we consider is Ephesians 1 verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you stand before this text, Ephesians 1 verse 7, which is a summary of the whole gospel, what will you say but, oh, the riches of God's grace? How blessed are we who have redemption in our Lord Jesus Christ? How blessed are we who, having seen that blood that flowed from Golgotha, may rejoice that our sins are forgiven. So the apostle continues his doxology of praise, blessed be God. Amazing is the grace by which he has looked upon us in Jesus Christ, by which he has given us to Christ, by which he has given him to us for our redemption, that redemption came through blood. Even the blood poured out and the body broken, which you and I partake of this morning with mouths of faith. So for a little while this morning, we hear the gospel of redemption through Christ's blood. And three points we consider. First of all, blessed redemption. Secondly, profound grace. Finally, great joy. Blessed redemption, the source of all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Redemption is a very important term in Scripture. It was set before Israel in the Old Testament as the hope of their salvation. The term refers to deliverance by payment of a ransom. For instance, a man who was a slave could be redeemed by his nearest kinsman 
if that kinsman was able to pay the required price. That was the law according to Leviticus 25. That pointed to the redemption which is at the heart of the gospel. But that redemption pictured in the Old Testament found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus confirmed this when he told his followers that he had come to do for them something that no one else could possibly do, namely to give his life as a ransom. And so we read in Mark 10 verse 20, verse 45 that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Redemption therefore comes against the background of a fundamental truth of Scripture and a deeply humbling truth. Every man, woman, and child of this whole human race is in bondage as the result of sin. Romans 3 verse 19 tells us that the whole world lies guilty before God, exposed by his perfect law. There is none righteous, no, not one. And as we have examined ourselves in this past week, in the light of God's word, we became very conscious of that truth again, didn't we? We had to be careful not to get caught up in our introspection, careful not to get caught up in examining ourselves and going beyond that to look to Christ. Our sinful flesh bearing the marks of the old man makes very clear that by nature we lie in bondage to sin and death. That's the execution of God's justice. He simply is doing what he said he would do if we walk contrary to the just requirements of his law. We broke the law, we paid the price. And to complete that figure of being imprisoned in sin and death, we ought to remember God gave the key to that prison, as it were, to Satan, to the devil. Lock them up. That's the fundamental teaching of the whole Bible concerning our spiritual state and condition, except we belong by faith to Christ. We are all by nature under the law and in a state of condemnation. And as if that were not bad enough, we don't even feel bad about being in bondage. From birth on, we're quite satisfied to be locked up in this prison of the bondage of sin. We can't conceive of anything else by nature. We can't even conceive of freedom from that prison. And so you look at the despair in the world around us, and the fact is, apart from Christ, we don't even look at it as bondage. We think of it as pleasure. That's how messed up we are. 
That's the extreme foolishness of sin. It isn't only that we cannot free ourselves from that bondage. We don't even have a desire to be delivered. But the point that must be emphasized here in connection with redemption is this. We don't have the right to be redeemed. And that must be emphasized. We have no right to be freed from sin and death. God has condemned us. God justly placed us in bondage to sin and death. He's killed us. Spiritually, we are dead in trespasses and sins. According to the sentence of God over us, over all of us. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, something absolutely amazing has taken place. In him, the in whom refers to Christ. In him, we have redemption. Redemption. That means not only that we are free from the shackles of our captivity, but it means more particularly that he gave us the right to that freedom. Redemption is deliverance, to be sure, but it is deliverance with the emphasis on the right to be delivered. Our liberation took place, therefore, according to strictest justice. God's justice was satisfied. That's redemption. So that the law can no longer condemn us. Jesus Christ came into this world in order to redeem those who were given him of the Father. He came to bring to fruition that eternal decree of election that we considered last Sunday evening. He came in order to pay the ransom price that would set us free, would secure our liberty. And the result is that no power can ever legally lay hold of us again and bring us back into bondage. Sin cannot have dominion over us anymore. The law itself proclaims us free. That's our blessed redemption. But this redemption, as our text reminds us, has taken place through his blood. There was no other way for us to be saved than by the shedding of Christ's blood. And notice that's exactly the emphasis here. This is the gospel. Salvation is through blood. And specifically through the precious blood of Jesus. Those who would reject the Old Testament for its blood theology overlook the fact the same emphasis is found in the New Testament. We find it again in the second chapter of this epistle, verse 13, where we read, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. John writes in 1 John 1, verse 7, that the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. 
So this, this blood theology is consistently on the foreground in the presentation of the gospel in Holy Scripture. And this is to show us that what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us by his death is in line with all the Old Testament doctrine concerning the sacrifices and redemption through the precious blood of the Lamb. Christ is the fulfillment of all the types and shadows. All the sacrifices and offerings pointed to him. And those elements of the Old Testament law and ceremonies that pointed to Christ taught us very clearly that God's justice had to be satisfied. Propitiation had to be made. So the writer to the Hebrews said in Hebrews 9, verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That is no remission of sin. It's the death of Christ by the shedding of his blood that satisfied God's justice and gave us blessed redemption. We are saved in Christ and by him alone, not by his teaching, not by his example, not, but rather by what he has done, what he has accomplished, and what God has done in him and through him. Jesus paid the price of our redemption. And that price was his own precious blood. In connection with the last part of verse 6, we see that this redemption is God's work. He is the one who made us accepted in the beloved. He did so according to his sovereign counsel, his eternal decree. Blessed be God. He has taken your sins and mine and laid them upon his own beloved son. That's the way we are saved. It's the only way of our redemption. By the shedding of his blood, Christ obtained from God the right to execute his counsel in the deliverance of his people, and he exercised that right. Having redeemed us through his blood, he actually tore asunder the shackles of sin and death that held us in bondage, delivering us by his spirit into perfect righteousness and freedom. That's redemption through Christ's blood. Let's lay hold of that gospel this morning, people of God, as we partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. What profound grace. This redemption is recognized as the forgiveness of our sins. Forgiveness is spoken of in different ways in Scripture, true with many of the concepts in the Bible. And one of the problems we face in our day in, is the loss of those distinctions, critically important distinctions. But in this context, with that redemption, we have the forgiveness of our sin. It's the only way we can rejoice in our redemption. 
How do you rejoice in something you don't know about, aren't conscious of? But we are conscious of it and rejoice in it only as we taste the forgiveness of our sin. And that's what we confess above all else as we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. As we partake of our Lord and Savior in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. If anything is emphasized in the Lord's Supper, it is this. We rejoice in our salvation only when we have the forgiveness of sins through Christ's righteousness. Because those sins are very real to us, aren't they? Sins are so real in our daily experience and in the battle of our daily life, they trouble us greatly, don't they? They should. We're sorry for them. Should be, we are. When we are sorry for them, we strive against them. We do. And once again, we begin to see the exceeding sinfulness of our sin when we realize what it is to sin against God. If we've come to some consciousness of that again in this past week of self-examination, then we certainly realize that the forgiveness of our sins is the greatest blessing God has given us in this life. Well, the enjoyment of our redemption begins with the forgiveness of our sin. And that's no easy matter. Don't think forgiveness comes easy. When we think that our sins are just some minor errors that everyone ought to overlook, including God, That God will just quickly forgive them by overlooking them. We show we don't know the forgiveness of sins. Sin cannot be dealt with that way. Can't be. The word sins in this text is literally trespasses. It speaks of all those deeds of mind and will and heart and desires and mouth and hands and feet and appetite and lust that violate God's law, his holy precepts. And notice then that God's way in leading us to forgiveness is a way that first of all exposes that sin to our own consciousness. And that immediately tells us something about the profound nature of forgiveness. Because our tendency is to cover our sins up. So that we might not be seen for what we are. And we're experts at that. But sin can't be dealt with that way. God first exposes it, unmasks it, pinpoints it, 
to our own conscience. And he does that with the scalpel of his word of truth. That's why our confession speaks of the preaching of the gospel operating as the chief means, not only of grace, which it is, but of discipline. Before we lay hold of the blessedness of our forgiveness, we must realize something of the enormity of our sins, our sinfulness. And it's at the cross where we see that. Because at the cross where the precious blood of Jesus was poured out, we see sin for what it is. Something so horrible such an offense to God that it necessitated him giving up his only begotten son to suffer the contradiction of sinners against himself and to shed his own blood as a willing sacrifice. The cross, therefore, condemns us before it sets us free. And that's why the preaching of the cross and of Christ crucified is such an offense to so many, to the natural man. Sin is so terrible, sin is so vile, that nothing could deal with it but the blood of Jesus. The cross, you see, wasn't a patching up, it wasn't a... a, covering up of sin. It wasn't sweeping sin under the rug. It wasn't a matter of God saying to sinners, don't worry, all is well. Not at all. God is just. The cross of, is God showing us our sin as it is. Exposing it by the fiery light of his wrath and then dealing with it. But the result of that shedding of blood is the forgiveness of sin. Christ bore our punishment. Our trespasses have been paid in full. That guilt that incurs God's just judgment And condemnation is now fully removed. Just think of what that means for us. Think of what this forgiveness means for us who are daily bothered by the sins of our mind and will and tongues and all our members. That horrible mountain of guilt that we could never remove is gone. That power of corruption from which we could never deliver ourselves. That sin that held us in bondage which had dominion over our whole being. Over our hearts, our minds, our wills, every move, every bond has been broken. We're free. That death that embraced us and from which there was no escape. Spiritual death, physical death, everlasting death. That death has now been swallowed up in victory. Christ has crushed 
the head of the serpent. That's our redemption. Another way to forgiveness there is not. Forgiveness comes in the way of strictest justice. Forgiveness by the shedding of Christ's blood, but forgiveness full and free. No wonder the text speaks of the riches of God's grace. What is it that makes this redemption, this forgiveness of sins possible? What is it that gives us, us, this blessed redemption, this profound forgiveness of our sins? There's only one answer. Grace. How rich is the grace of God our Savior. Our salvation from beginning to end is all God's grace. You see, the apostle now turns things around once again and points to God. And that's where all the focus must be. That's, we've been considering our great salvation All right, we must do that too, but let's remember, all this leads once again to the focal point. That's God, the God of our salvation. Our God is gracious, beautiful. God is beautiful because of all his glorious virtues, but that grace he has revealed to us the riches of his grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's Jesus. That's through his blood he's given us to see the riches of God's grace. And we see it this morning as we stand before the Lord's table. As we partake with our mouths, the crucified body and shed blood of Christ, we say we have tasted the riches of God's grace. That grace abounds towards us. Toward us who are undeserving, who have forfeited all right to the enjoyment of his mercy, to those who are sinners. That grace abounds in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. What great joy this gospel gives us. It's obvious that to the Apostle Paul, this theme of the riches of God's grace filled his heart with unspeakable joy. That word grace always calls forth superlatives from the apostle when he uses it. To think upon the grace of our God, the riches of his grace, so gripped Paul's soul that it um, constantly amazed him and moved him to praise. Shall we receive that gospel with that same joy? When the Lord's Supper is administered presently and we partake, understanding the significance of that holy ordinance and what it seals to our souls, 
we shall indeed celebrate the Lord's Supper, discerning the body and blood of Christ. This most solemn ordinance, with its elements that speak of God's holiness and justice and wrath, also reveals the love of God and grace immeasurable reminds us that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And therefore also today, as this gospel and the signs and seals of the Lord's Supper added to the preaching of the word, overflow into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, we shall say, O God, how good thou art to me. Take the words of this text upon your lips, will you? Don't say there is forgiveness of sins. Don't say there's redemption in the blood of Christ. Speak the language of the text. The text says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. We. We have the forgiveness of sins. Confess that. Yes, we say it by faith. This great joy is ours only by faith. Faith is the power by which God has united us to Christ, grafted us into him, made us one with him. And being one with him, and and him having called that faith to our consciousness, we know that he has forever carried away our sin and guilt. We are told about ourselves, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, that we are not our own, but have been bought with a price. Therefore, we glorify God in our bodies and in our spirits, which are his, because we are redeemed, we are the Lord's property, we belong to him, we confess that in Lord's Day 1, don't we? I'm not my own. I belong in body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. By faith, we lay hold of this gospel and we say, we have redemption through Christ's blood. And therefore, by faith, we also express our joy exactly by saying, thanks, Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have tasted the riches of God's grace. Amen. Gracious Father, as we have heard the gospel, we now turn to the sacrament 
which thou hast given us as a sign and seal upon that word preached. Blessed unto our hearts, and grant, Father, that we may partake discerning the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.